Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Uh, yeah, good morning, Saints. Um, this is a glorious day. Who's put up your hand if your garden is just looking resplendent at the moment? Mm, it is beautiful. We're getting this strange thing at the farm where the sheep are eating all of this new grass. It's so wet and green that they're just doing these huge, huge cowpat-like deposits all over the place. It's very, very unusual because of this rain. Um, yeah, you guys know me. My name's Dan. I'm currently serving as an elder at Hills, um, married to Fia. We have a semi-behaved two-year-old <laughs> with platinum blonde hair. Looks like Boris Johnson at the moment. Um, he's, he's at the farm with his, playing with his cousins this morning. Uh, you may have seen him taking a double portion of communion last month. Um, and this is, look, today is really a Thanksgiving testimony as well as a sermon. May, some of you would be very aware my wife went through a near-death resurrection experience two months ago uh, with a strange post-COVID syndrome. Um, and uh, she was on a ventilator for 14 days. At one point, they didn't think she would make it. But now she is walking, she's singing, she's driving, she's cooking. <laughs> and, uh, and she's going back to work uh, this month. It did not have to happen. I know many colleagues interstate still suffering from, from long COVID fatigue and pericarditis. Isn't God good? Um, words cannot describe our... Fear, fear and our, our renewed appreciation for, for this community at Hills, uh, not only through prayer, but incredible amounts of tasty food packages got delivered to us, uh, as we often do with others in need in this community. Um, and I'll, I'll just name a few. Nikki Riemann, I don't know how you cooked, if you ever hear this, 12 meals in three hours. Lauren, Noak, best potato bake ever. Uh, Mel Louie, Chicken Cacciatore, the Stanifords made these incredible snacks. Snacks are important when you're in hospital a lot. Uh, Jackie Grace and the church meal freezer. Margie, um, thank you, who visited Fia and anointed her in ICU. Uh, Nick, coming to pray with me in my time of need. Encouraging texts from Martin and Virginia, Emily Farmer, Ron, his wife, for I could go on and on. I'm just, I'm just painting a picture of this is a community that loves one another. Amen. And we want, to, we want to continue on in that and go deeper as, as God continues to grow us. Uh, may we repay and double the kindness we've been shown in this church. I meet at the hospital and other... I, I constantly meet Australians that can't stop criticising the church and the way they think they've been offended. I personally wouldn't have survived without you guys. Um, so who's aware that God is actually moving quite a lot at the moment? Do we agree? There's a lot happening out there, but God's moving deeply in his body. Um, here's a testimony I had recently from some local Indian missionaries that we support in, uh, in Gujarat. It's a major industrial town in India, and their names are Sanjeev and Christy. And he just wrote to me, he said, Dr. Dan, a few days ago, this happened on Tuesday, I was invited to a family to pray as a Hindu family, and the head of the household had this terrible paralysis, and they sent him home with half his body paralysed, sounds like a stroke or something, uh, and he couldn't walk, 
uh, and he couldn't move his body by himself. And um, this Christian brother, it's not easy to be a Christian at the moment in India. Modi's trying to do a Hindu takeover. This Christian brother went around to the house, prayed in Jesus' name, and he got up and walked. And the whole family are now having Bible study with them. That just happened on Tuesday. I'm just giving you examples. Um, I mean, we're not just here for miracles, but the signs of healing give a testimony to the outer world that people may hear the gospel. Hallelujah. Amen. So the church is alive. I'm convinced, and it is growing in depth and breadth. Um, Mark Sanders has been uh, telling me a number of churches, they are seeing people just turn up and no one's invited them, but something in their heart just draw them to have fellowship to come back to the body of Christ, either very new Christians or undiscipled Christians. God is doing a gathering work. We need to continue to pray uh, in, into this. Um, and I really feel God wants to prepare us, and this is why Nick wants to do a series on discipleship, and, and, and part of this, this uh, message today is a prep for that. God wants us to, to prepare us to be mature upper room disciples, not just baby Christians. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, so our text today is from John 14, verses 1 to 12. And some of the scene is set from, from Mark's gospel in chapter 14. So let's just read John 14 and then we'll ask, I'll ask you guys a question. Maybe, brother, if we can bring it, bring it up on the board. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me. In my Father's house... Are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, just show us the father. It is enough. Jesus said, have I been with you so long, yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do, not, do, do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me is doing his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So a question for you guys. Have, you, have any of you ever been travelling overseas? You pay you know, several thousand for a ticket. You organise tourism, hotel rooms. Uh, it's all great. You see some exciting things, some new things. And you suddenly get to, a, you're halfway through the tourism, you suddenly get to a point where you just want to go home. Has anyone? <laughs> it's a bit, <laughs> home where you are loved and known, where you can laugh and are understood. 
home where you can put down deep roots, build a life, a community. It's an extremely powerful feeling. And many theologians will suggest that in the upper room dialogue, Jesus is not just talking about heaven, but he's trying to show us where our home really is as, as mature spiritual disciples. This is where he's prepared a place for us that is connected to our true identity and this is where we're going to thrive and this is where prayers get answered. Amen. So John 13 to 17 uh, is very unique in the whole Bible. It's where Jesus gets into real depth um, and it's not written in any of the other Gospels. Um, Some call it the upper room discourse. Some call it the disciples' discipling handbook and he's just teaching directly to us, his disciples. Um, It was probably compiled much later than the Gospels, which is strange, and you can get critics, but I would ask, that's because John wanted to make sure he got every single gold of, of teaching right from talking to the other disciples and carefully sifting it through by the Holy Spirit. That's why it took a long time for it to be reconstructed. Um, it begins with the washing of the disciples' feet and it ends with the high priestly prayer in John, in John 17. And it really reveals so incredible amount about the heart of Christ. It's not just head knowledge. But it's in the setting of a room that he's actually prepared for them, right? Um, if I was on a desert, well, perhaps, if I was on a desert island for 10 years, I think I could survive if I only had this, John 13 to 17. Every verse is just so amazing. And I encourage you guys, if you're not already, I encourage you to memorise some of these verses. Who can, who can tell me an amazing verse between John 13 and 17? Any, anything within that upper room discourse, who can tell me an amazing verse? Amen. Amen. We read that one. Any others? Amen. What about, yes, yes, yes. I am the, I am the, amen. John, I am the vine and you are the, amen, amen. No longer do I call you slaves, but you are my, amen. I didn't, this is my favourite one. You did not appoint me, but I appointed you that you go and bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Isn't that a good one? Say that one to yourself when you're really feeling depressed. You didn't appoint God. He's appointed you and he's intends to make sure you bear amazing fruit. It doesn't come from us. Um, what's interesting about the upper room discourse in the other Gospels, when Jesus, maybe turn my, maybe turn my mic, mic volume just down a slight... That's better. What's really interesting, in the other Gospels, the focus is more on world events when Jesus does a long speech towards the end of, the, of, his, of his ministry, not at the Passover, but he does a long speech and he focuses on plagues and earthquakes, false messiahs, martyrdom. None of that is found in John's Gospel. I'm not saying that big stuff, scary stuff is real. It is. But it's almost like for John, it's even more important that we become people of peace in the upper room, and that's going to weather all of that out, outer stuff. And so John, John doesn't need to tell us about all the crazy stuff, but he wants us to focus on our upper room discipleship. Amen? 
Um, the tone people describe in this discourse is one of calm intensity. He's calm, but we also know big stuff's about to happen. Um, in some ways, it's a farewell speech, but in the other, paradoxically, he describes coming back to us. And, and, and many commentators talk about it, the language of Christ's imminent departure and return and our sadness and disturbance of that is also causing our spiritual growth. It's better for you that I go away, he keeps saying. It's like a mother dropping a kid off on the first day of school. Have you noticed in a trial sometimes, suddenly you can't, God seems very absent? And that can propel you to seek him more. But it also can see if the things that he's put in your heart are now going to come out in the character that he's trying to form in you. Um, there's a few other unusual things about these chapters. Critics note, um, secular critics note that at the end of chapter 14, Jesus says, get up, let's go from here. But then he keeps talking in chapter 15 about the vine. Now, I don't have a problem with this. I see this as it's almost like there's tension. He's, they're on the move. But then perhaps as they got up from the upper room and were walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane, John began to remember all of that extra teaching on the vine that he just told them. And so, it's, it, so the action is inserted into the text. Last little thing for biblical scholars. There are more than 25 references to the Song of Songs. Who likes the Song of Songs? Um, it's a deep book. Uh, in the Old Testament, a poem celebrating romantic intimacy in the wisdom literature. So vine, the king's chamber, the hidden place, royal wedding, covenantal... Co There's so much of the symbology of the Song of Songs that's actually in this um, upper room discourse from 13 to 17, which is interesting. And the last thing I'll say from the... There's an there's a upper room discourse similar but not as amazing occurring in the Old Testament. Does anyone know... Where in the Old Testament you see God having a meal where he's giving instruction with a whole lot of... This is a hard Bible quiz. In Exodus, there's a sapphire pavement and all the nobles of Israel sit with God. We don't quite... It's very mysterious. And they have a meal with him before he releases the, the covenant. So you can see here in the upper room, in the New Testament, it's, it's far more... Uh, it's far more personal and warm and it's because Christ is, is there in the flesh himself. So let's first look at the scene that sets up this upper room from, from Mark, uh, Mark 14, uh, brother, if we can bring that up. Jesus sends two of his disciples ahead of him into Jerusalem, says, make your way into the city, watch for a man carrying an earthen pitch of water. Follow him and say to the owner of whatever house he enters, the teacher wants to ask, do you have a room ready where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? And he will show you a large upstairs room ready with a table set. Make preparations for us there. So they went to the city and found everything to be exactly like Jesus had prophesied and they prepared for him the Passover meal. And when evening came, he entered the house and went upstairs with his 12 disciples. So this seems obvious, but it is worth reflecting on. 
Up until now, the disciples had actually followed Jesus around to other people's houses and homes, right? Um, Largely doing intense missional activity, deliverance ministry, engaging with the public. But this time, Jesus himself has prepared a secret room. They don't know where it is, just for them. Why did he do this? When did he organise this? Here, Jesus has mysteriously gone before the disciples. Did he, did he appoint a trustworthy friend? Because the date of the Passover is fixed and Jerusalem would have been full of pilgriming Jew, Jews, he probably had to make the booking well in advance. Then again, we know he is God. He could have just um, clicked his fingers. In locating this upper room, the disciples obeyed Jesus' vague instructions. Timing was everything. And they had to be exactly in the right place at the right time to find this upper room. Now, the early church fathers, who I like reading, they kind of saw everything symbolically in the Scriptures. So they believed that symbolically the owner of the house was like the Father and the pitcher of water was like the Holy Spirit and Jesus was there in the middle. They were in an elevated room above the clamour of the, of the world and the earth and they had to ascend these stairs to get to this secret place. So why does Jesus bother to go to such lengths? Why not just get on with the mission, get it done? Do you believe he's ever gone ahead of you? Do you believe that he has prepared a special place for you? Better than any romantic date you could ever have as a reward for your allegiance to him. (coughs) Would you go up those stairs? Or would you disqualify yourself straight away as unworthy? And there are a number of things to note here, and I'm summarising a lot from a lot of John 13. But number one, he doesn't send off, at this critical need before the cross, he doesn't send each disciple off to pray on their own, in their own closet. It's more important for Christ that they come together, they sit and eat and talk about their new roles. And he's actually creating a new type of community on earth that we, that we now know. And us in Australia, in America, we need to be careful after COVID with that hyper-individualism. If you're struggling to pray on your own in your own closet, I encourage, start with your small group. Come to the Thursday night worship session sometime. Feel the fire of the prayer together and you'll begin to pray powerfully on on your own again. Secondly, discipleship is not something we just do on our own. It's something we do together. Hallelujah. As a community, once we have each one purposed in our hearts to follow Christ. Thirdly, the reward of our allegiance is intimacy with Jesus. He is thanking them in a sense for following Him up until this time before the cross. This is a recurring theme in Scriptures. As we grow in Christ, as we suffer with Him, we also grow in intimacy in the knowledge of His resurrection. Hallelujah. Amen. And that's something worth living for. Fourthly, we are already clean. Remember Peter, we don't need to be washed top to toe every time. There is no doubt at all that any of us here as believers that we're not allowed in that upper room. We have received his words. We've believed in gospel. That um, That was finished in the finished work of Christ. We are clean. We don't need a full rewashing. 
but we do need to be expectant and ready for our upper room upgrade. So why does Jesus go to all of these lengths organising um, this fellowship? The meal, the man, the water that he used to, to clean their feet, the hidden place. Why? Because discipleship is so important to Christ. It's like he's saying to them, you'll see me work, now it's going to be your turn and the cross is going to make that all possible. So Nick wanted me to introduce the concept of discipleship. Disciple, a disciple is not just a student-teacher relationship. A disciple is someone who has made an intentional decision to not just follow someone's teachings, life and aims, but with a purpose to become like the person they're actually following. And Nick will talk more about this in the coming weeks. It's not just head knowledge, uh, as Felicity pointed out, or a belief. It's a process of spiritual growth that Jesus himself is most concerned, especially now that we get on with this. And you might say, oh, well, paying off my mortgage, getting my kids a good education, that is the most important issue in my life. No, it's not. The most important issue to Christ is that you get on with being discipled. Um, so let's look in a couple of verses in John 14. So verse 1 he says, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, historically, many Christians have, have been comforted by these verses and, and, and they're normally ascribed to in heaven. I'm a cancer doctor. I've seen patients' faces light up when you read these verses to them with assurance and peace that Christ has prepared a place for us. And this is talking about heaven. But can you see from the actions of Christ preparing the physical upper room, he's also saying, I'm preparing a place for you for the ministry that you're now going to um, carry out because I'm going to the cross. He's, the, the, the words of 13 to 17 are talking about us as disciples here and now and it's very wonderful and it's very practical. So Jesus is describing a place of intimacy with the Father that we have access to and he's suggesting that this is our true home. Where is he going? They keep asking him. He's going to the, he's going to the Father. You cannot separate the place from the person. Amen? You can't separate the house from the architect. There's a type of, you, some of you may know these kind of people. There's a type of person I've met, they just secretly love to go look at real estate, right? They'll go to, they'll go to auctions and they can't even afford the mansion, but they, they want to have a look around. Now, imagine that they would live in this place. Sometimes us materialistic Westerners want the house, right? So a lot of big houses at the moment that the homeless could use and only one person living in there in Australia. They want the house, but they don't want the relationship. But the best house, and there will be incredible homes in the heavens, but the best house comes from the best architect. Hallelujah. So let's get to know the Father. Do not let your hearts be troubled, he says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. So the upper room discourse begins with peace, joy, communion. This is spiritual discipleship 101, not anxiety. 
In the upper room, Christ is calling us to be mature Christians where we operate from a foundation of peace. Do not fret. It only leads to evil doing. Be anxious for knowing your identity and where you are going gives you a lot of peace. I remember I was able to endure some tough times in San Francisco for eight years because I knew I had a home back here in Adelaide. I knew Christians were here praying for me. My family was here. And then he says, greater works you will do because I go to the Father. I mean, these are incredible verses, very difficult to unpack. Do we really believe these verses? Is he being literal? Is he, is he being metaphorical? If you look at the books of Acts, you can actually, the book of Acts, you can actually find many of the early believers like Philip and Stephen, apostles, they were actually performing extraordinary miracles. Peter's preaching, 3,000 came to faith in one day. Jesus didn't see 3,000 come to faith in one day in his ministry. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. This is, this is a verse worth, worth memorising. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so the Father may be glorified in the Son. So this is radical. Can you see in this verse, Jesus is not just talking about our, our future eternal state in the heavens. He's talking about our lives now as true disciples. Do you believe in this? Do you want to experience this? Now, I've met Christians who grumble and complain. Oh, they say, oh, God never answers any of my prayers. I would be surprised if over the course of your life, you have never seen any of your prayers answered. See, we forget what we've prayed, but God doesn't forget. And often if you look back, he's answered it in far more amazing ways than when you imagined, when you were first praying that prayer. Amen? Now, there are a few traps here. If you don't believe in a living God who intervenes in the real world and can do uh, incredible things, you'll have a dull prayer life. You might recite liturgy, you might memorise uh, the Lord's Prayer, but you won't truly pray that's the heresy of the Sadducees. No angels, no afterlife, very similar to Australian secular atheism. If you're a fatalist or a hyper-Calvinist, you also won't pray because you think it's all been predetermined. What's the difference? God knows. There are many people I, I've met in the Middle East, they say, inshallah, it means if God wills in Arabic. The garbage truck doesn't come to pick up my rubbish in the street, inshallah. <laughs> but... Christ is ushering us into a deeper prayer life because he had an active prayer life. It gave him great joy to work with the Father and see the Father do things around him. And he wants us to experience that joy. Hallelujah. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name, he says in John 16. Ask and you'll receive that your joy, amen, may be made full. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do so the Father may be glorified in the Son. So I, I want to do a little de demonstration. I'll, I'll ask Felicity to come up as a, as a... Um, now, uh, so Felicity is going to represent the Christian praying. Ollie, maybe come up. Ollie can be the father. He's a good father. <laughs> stretching his hands out, open hands towards Felicity. I'm going to be Christ. So Felicity, 
felicity in a time of crisis or maybe not, something the Holy Spirit puts on a heart, prays to the Father to see some breakthrough, some kingdom breakthrough. And Christ is with her. Christ is in her. The Father, because he sees felicity as justified because of the work of the cross and regenerated with Christ living in her, sees her as his, as his own child. Amen? And he's very happy because she's a growing spiritual, he's very happy to answer that prayer. And because Christ is forming in felicity, her prayer is actually in the will, within the will of the Father. It's not just from a, a random Lamborghini. You get me? So he's more than pleased to answer her prayer and then something amazing happens. And there's a testimony to the rest of the public around her and they see that God has blessed her. And the son... In Felicity says, look at my father, look how amazing he is. And the father says, look at my son, look at his obedience and humility, look at him who is worthy. And both the father and the son say, look at, look at our daughter, Felicity, who we can see Christ forming in her, amen. You guys can sit down, but... Can you see when we, when we truly pray, not faithless, when we truly pray in faith, we are actually participating in the divine perichoresis. We are actually participating in the glory of the father-son relationship that the father will be glorified in the son. Is that boring? Do you want more of this? You can be in your late 80s with arthritis, and you can participate in the perichoresis glory of seeing the Father glorified in the Son. Hallelujah. And this is what Jesus really wants us to get in the upper room. He wants us to be people of prayer. I love the word for prayer from, uh, from, um, what's the, from Mother Teresa. Prayer is articulated love. If you don't care, you'll never pray. If you don't love, you never pray. But Jesus wants us to have testimonies because we happen to have access to the Father who's the creator and the architect of the universe. And that's exciting and that gives us great joy. There was a man, there's a man I've, I've been reading a lot about lately. Um, brother, if we can bring that picture up. Does anyone know who this is? This is, actually, this is actually written by Lauren's uncle, Peter Latz, who grew up in Hermansburg. Um, this was an incredible Aboriginal Christian with an amazing anointing, and he brought more Aboriginals to Christ than all of the white Lutheran missionaries in the late 1800s. He brought more Christians to Christ, Aboriginals to Christ, than Strello or, or um, uh, uh, some of the other guys. And he used to do these mission trips where he'd, he was blind from measles. He used to do these mission trips where he'd walk across the dunes and mountains, 100 k south um, to these stations and, and visit his own people and tell them the gospel. And they saw amazing healing. But most importantly, many of them became deep followers of Christ and gave up witchcraft and witch doctor stuff, which he was very against back then. Um, and he truly had this this grasp of the Father leading him through prayer, uh, through the desert on, on these mission trips. 
Many Christians now, Aboriginal Christians now, you can trace back their salvation history and their family to his work. Incredible guy. Oh, sorry. Yeah, two months ago, we, we were in a pretty desperate situation. Uh, as I was saying, my wife, Fia, contracted COVID in late June and then she got this RSV, respiratory syncytial virus. And she rang me at work on the Monday afternoon and, and she said, Dan, i just woken up. I realised I blacked out. I fainted. We realised her heart had stopped and baby Joseph was sitting there looking at her and then it happened again an hour later. Um, so we took her to, to emergency and within 12 hours, all her muscles started to waste away. We realised she was experiencing a very intense post-COVID um, myositis, inflammatory syndrome. And um, I'm medical, so I'm not squeamish, but her, her urine went a deep purple claret, like a high Anglican communion wine. <laughs> um, and I came, some of you may remember, I came to you guys out of desperation on the Sunday morning, Joseph on my shoulders. Um, so on the Saturday... The, the ICU doctors, her numbers were just going up. We'd hit her with everything, methylpred, plasma exchange, IVIG, and her numbers were going up and up. And the doctor said, look, I'm not, I'm not sure that she's going to make it. Uh, and that night, and we still didn't exactly know what the diagnosis was, the biopsy results weren't back. That night on the Saturday, I, I got on my knees and I, and I said, Father, if this is Fia's time to go home, I will not curse you. I will serve you. But if she will live... We will use this as a testimony to glorify your name, to glorify the Father and the Son. And what I didn't know that night, I think about nine people that we counted, and, I'm, and as well as all of some of you guys, that nine people were woken up at different times by the Holy Spirit that night to intercede. And then we prayed together as a church, and I went back to uh, Ashford at 12 o'clock, and I walked in there, and her urine was a beautiful golden yellow and I knew the muscle damage had stopped. And the ICU guys came up, they said, Dan, I can't believe it. all her numbers have turned around. And I knew she was going to make it. Hallelujah. So the goal of Christ's teaching in the upper room is to activate our living relationship with the, with the Father, with the Father. Do you want testimonies that will glorify the Father? Stay in the upper room. Learn from the master. Abide in this place. This is your real home. This is where we're going. In the upper room, Christ having full access, in Christ having full access to the Father. The devil does not want us to know we're actually, we are now positioned heavenly places in Christ in the upper room. And he de definitely doesn't want us to stay in the upper room because we'll be effective. And most importantly, he does not want us to know that we actually have access to a living Father who can answer prayer very powerfully. So in closing, there could be people here today who have no idea of what I'm talking about, but they're attracted to Christ and they need to talk. we need to talk to you after. We're going to pray for those ones. There could be people here today who are just feeling a long way away from God, very distant from the upper room. They may, may always feel like they're They've given up on their discipleship, not worthy to step back in. We're going to pray that God would go ahead of you and prepare a place for you again, encourage you in the Holy Spirit.
There could be others here today who are, who are troubled, distressed by rising costs, family issues, problems at work. We're going to pray that not only will we have peace and hope, but you would re-see that these things are all, all these little mini trials are secondary to the work of discipleship that Christ wants to work in you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for the detail of his love, his affection that he would go ahead of us, put the mission on hold for a time before he went to the cross and prepare a special place for us. We thank you, Father, not only do we have an amazing special place in the heavenly realm, but you have given each of us a unique place in the Father for fruitful ministry and for powerful prayers. Jesus, we thank you for the peace that you've given us, that you've won by the blood of Christ. Father, as the church grows, as the amalgamation and other plants and and, and ministry grows and you continue to gather new ones in, Father, let us stay in that place of peace, Lord. Father, we thank you that your your form, forming within us, your discipleship work is so important to, to you, not just our salvation. You want each one of us to be mature in Christ and to have multiple testimonies that there is a God who cares. There's a God who intervenes in real history and answers prayer. Father, we ask that all of us, may our prayers glorify the Father in the Son. For those of us who, who feel a long way off, Father, we pray the Holy Spirit will just allure them, draw, just like in Song of Songs. Allure us out of the wilderness and back to that upper room, to the King's chamber. Forgive us if we've been hard against you, Lord. Forgive us, Father, if addictions, if worries, if stress have got in the way of just living every day with you. Father, we pray for those who are who are troubled and anxious, Father, we ask that Jesus relieve their burdens but provide a new space, a large place that they can rekindle their love for you and serve you. Grow us, Father, in your trials, in your comings and goings. Grow us, Lord God, in the knowledge of who we are in Christ. And finally, if there are those who don't know you, Lord, we pray that they would talk to the elders to the pastors and that they will make a commitment to follow you as Lord and Saviour. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.